Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. Amen, amen. Hey, thanks, Ben. Happy Father's Day to you. Seven. He's got seven, boy. He deserves a hand. And happy Father's Day to all the fathers in the room today. Thanks for coming and being with us. And we hope you have a great day, maybe some fun, barbecue later. Just uh, celebrating all that you do. We're so thankful for you. Uh, I'm thankful for my dad. My dad is not here this morning because he's out working. And my dad has worked every Father's Day since I've known him. He's worked every Mother's Day. Uh, My dad's a restaurant guy. And restaurants, they work today. And my dad's out there in the trenches doing the stuff at 82 years old. And I just want to give a shout to him. I'm so proud of that man. Uh, I would not have the work ethic that I have without going to work as a little boy and seeing my dad bust tables as the owner of a company. I would not have understood the tireless hours unless I just hung out with him and saw the burden that he carried as an entrepreneur and trying to make an investment to bless his family. My dad has blessed me so much. And the thing I love about my dad is I'm going to affirm him today. We're going to get together as a family and have a barbecue later, and I'm going to affirm my dad, and I'm going to thank him not only for his work ethic, but for his generosity, because he is one of the most giving men I really have ever met. I still go to work with him and drive around with him, and and to this day, on the way to one of the restaurants, if he sees the homeless man on the side of the corridor, he will have us pull over, he will pull out of his wallet, and he'll say, Bucky, would you get out of the car and go and tell that homeless man God loves him and give him this for me? And he's still just as a generous man. And I'm so thankful that he has made an indelible imprint on my life. And I hope that you can say that or thank God for a good father in your life today because it is such a blessing. And we're thankful for that blessing. We're thankful for the blessing that God's word tells us that we have a good, good father in heaven. Of all the names that God could have chosen for himself, the most precious intimate name was the name Father. And and as we look in scriptures, we see and we sing about a good, good father that gives only good and beautiful gifts to his children. We celebrate that today as we open his word and we look at this story of a life. He put this story of Joseph in the Bible, not just for the people of Joseph's day, but he realized that thousands of years later, you would be here sitting opening up God's word in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and you would draw encouragement and hope from the life of Joseph, especially not just on the mountaintops, but especially in the most difficult seasons of your life. We call that the wall in this series, and we're looking at the life of Joseph, specifically the perspective of how do we face walls and crisis in our life, because walls are not avoidable for all of us. As much as we try, as much as we try to avoid walls or crisis or difficulties or challenges, walls will be inevitable. And really, our life determines, the course of our life is determined by how we handle those walls in our lives. And God has great perspective from us, from his word, the Bible, and the life of Joseph, of how we face face the issue of crisis and difficulty and despair and anxiety and hurt and even suffering as we go through and face the walls of our lives. Last night, last week, we kissed, kicked off the series in Genesis 37, and we talked about the fact that 
Where is God when we hit walls in our lives? Sometimes he seems like he's absent. Sometimes he seems unavailable. Our prayers don't seem to be working the way that we want them to. Sometimes we feel that he's distant and not there. And yet, Genesis 37, it's a great chapter in the Bible. It tells us that God is working for us and he's with us. Even when we can't feel him or don't immediately experience him as we go through suffering in the walls of our lives. If you didn't catch that, go to the podcast. We put all our messages on podcast so you can catch up last week's message and catch up to where we are if you missed that one. It's a key uh, truth in our series. And today as we get back to the wall with Joseph in Genesis chapter 39, we're focusing on the issue of temptation. Because it's inevitable that you will face a wall, and when you face a wall or face a crisis or go through a struggle, there will be a temptation that comes in the middle of that crisis. And that temptation, the key of that temptation is really that it's the temptation to doubt God at the wall, to doubt God's goodness, to doubt that he is a good, good father, to, to say that his promises are really not good, they're not really worth worth what he says, Uh, to doubt God, that God is with us and for us, and to walk away from God at the wall, and to take matters into our own hands. I'm going to take control, and I'm going to do my life my way. I'm going to find my own way through the wall. I can't trust you, God. I'm going to find a better way through my own power and my own strength. I'm going to find a better way through the wall with my money. Money's going to become my God at the wall. I'm going to find my better way through the wall with my own power and strength. It's just my grit and effort, my self-effort that's going to get me through the wall. I'm going to find a way through the wall through sex. I'm going to find sex as the, as the, as the thing that's going to fulfill me at the wall. And I'm going to find somebody that's going to love me and fulfill me. And sex is going to be my way of finding life at the wall. What is it? Maybe it's a medication, it's a drug, it's alcohol or marijuana, whatever it is. We're trying to find something to substitute for God because we can't trust God. And so we're going to find life another way. Maybe it's working harder, workaholism. It's a career. If I just get the career, I'm going to find life at the wall. And yet, I found out in my own life as I have done that, those solutions never give me life. They only bring more burden and struggle when I walk away from God at the wall. And the life of Joseph is encouraging us that temptation is common, as the Bible says. We will all face temptation at the wall. Joseph is going to face temptation in Genesis 39. And here's God's promise for us as his people. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. We all face struggle and we all face temptation. And God is faithful. Remember, God is faithful at the wall. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. God is faithful. As we hold on to God at the wall, God will be with us and provide a way out for us. And many times I think, oh gosh, God's going to get me out of here. God's going to get me far away from the wall. God's going to show me a way over the wall. He's going to build a tunnel under the wall. But the life of Joseph says the way that God helps Joseph, and many times the way that God helps us, is he walks with us through the wall. He is with us as we walk through the wall, and actually going through the wall is important to his plan for our lives. 
It's not just get me out of here as fast as I can. It's not just beam me up, Scotty. It's not just, you know, get me somewhere else. Get me away from this wall. God says, no, don't be afraid. I am with you and I'm walking with you through this wall. That's God's answer to Joseph. God is with you as you walk through the law and he will provide a way for you as you go through that wall. And this is what Genesis 39 is all about because Joseph is going to face some major temptations in his life now. As you remember the last time in the story, Joseph was betrayed by his brothers and he was sold to a bunch of traitors, sold into slavery. He lost his father. He lost his father's code, the blessing. He lost his father's presence in his life, his earthly father. He lost his brothers, his family. He lost his people. He lost whatever he thought his dream was and he was taken into slavery. And so he's been abandoned, he's been abused, he is struggling, and now he finds himself in Egypt, far, far away from home. And how will he handle now as he's going through this wall of crisis, wondering what's going on, wondering what's happened, how will he handle temptation at the wall? And what Joseph will find out as he faces three major temptations... We think Genesis 39, most of us who study it think it's about one temptation, it's about sex... It's about Joseph and Potiphar's wife, but there's actually more. There's three temptations that Joseph is going to face at this wall, and I want to look at the first one here. The first one is the temptation of power. I'm going to take control. I'm going to use my power to get my way and take care of myself at the wall. That's the temptation that we all face when we go through crisis Let's look at the life of Joseph and how he handles the temptation of power. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. But the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord had given him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in the eyes, uh, in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his whole household and he entrusted him uh, to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he had owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome strapping young lad and after a while his master's wife pharaoh's potiphar's wife took notice of joseph and says come to bed with me let's have sex together so this again this seems like this is about sex but i want to tell you this is under underneath this offer to sex this is about power Joseph has been taken now, sold into slavery, taken from a faraway land, now into one of the most powerful nations of the world and put into a place of power. He's not just been sold to some ordinary dude. He's been sold to one of the top guys in Egypt. That word captain of the guard is not just secret service. That means he's commander-in-chief of all the military. This guy is one of the top guys of Pharaoh, and he is one of the power brokers of the nation. He's running all the military. He's wealthy. He's influential, obviously. He's incredibly successful and wealthy, and he has great power in Egypt. And suddenly, Joseph finds himself in a place of power. Joseph has also been given power. Joseph is flourishing. 
Joseph is faithful. This guy's an amazing attendant. He's an amazing leader. He's an amazing organizational leader. He's a great business entrepreneur. This guy is a successful CEO of any organization, and he's moving up the chain because he's doing so well for his master, and his master notices it. And what does his master notice? That God is with Joseph. Why is Joseph flurring? What's the power that this guy's got? Is it his personality? Is it his mojo? Is it the fact that he understands how to make trades and deals? Is it the art of the deal in Joseph? Why is Joseph so good? The Bible says it's clear to, to Potiphar that the hand of God is on Joseph. And Potiphar is not a Christian. He's not a Jew. He's not a Hebrew. He's an Egyptian. He worships many gods, but he sees the power of God in this man's life. And actually, he elevates him because he sees that power as blessing his household. You see, there's been a big change in Joseph. In in chapter 37, go back and read it again. When Joseph faced the wall of crisis and his brothers betrayed him and his dad even judged him for his dream and he was abandoned and it was a struggle and there was abuse, it says in Genesis 37, God's name is never mentioned in the chapter. The author is telling you that God's name is not mentioned because you don't see visibly but Behind the scenes, God is working and his presence is there, even when Joseph can't feel him. Now in Genesis 39, it says, Joseph knows that God is with him. Something has happened in Joseph's life from 37 to 39. Through his crisis, through his suffering, through his being sold, his humility, he's faced the end of himself, and he's grabbed a hold of God in a way that he never has before, and now the presence of God is visibly anointing him and his leadership in Egypt. Something has changed, and Joseph is recognizing that his power, his success in Egypt... The reason he's flourished, it's coming from God, and he knows it. What would have given Joseph this perspective? What did Joseph had? If you would have read Joseph's life before, who is the one person that could have told Joseph about God? Who's the one person that would have shared the story of his great-great-grandfather Abraham and the promises of God? Who would have shared the story of his grandfather Isaac and his covenant encounter with God? Who would have shared the story about a wrestling match at night where he, his father encountered God and he said, "Unless you, and I won't let go of you until you bless me. As Jacob, his father, wrestled with God in the middle of the night and he got a new name. He got a limp and he got a new name and God said, your name is Israel because you have wrestled with God and you have overcome. And guess what? The promises of Abraham and Isaac are your promises. This land is going to be yours, and you are going to bless many nations. Who would have told Joseph that story? Who would have? What day, what's the day today? What is today? Father's Day. Joseph's father told him the story of God. Joseph's father was not perfect. He had favoritism. He was broken like all fathers are. But Joseph's father had a faith. And he passed that on to Joseph. And in the middle of his Christ, he remembered his father's words. He remembered the story. He remembered that God is a promise-keeping God. And he trusted God in the middle of the wall. And suddenly, there was a breakthrough, and he felt God's favor and presence, even in the most difficult situation of slavery. That was a powerful thing. Fathers, do not underestimate the power of your story. Fathers, don't underestimate. Your words are powerful and big in your children's eyes. Joseph remembered the promises that his father had told him about. And he's flourishing. 
But in this passage, you see two paradigms of power. You see worldly power because you also see worldly power in a power broker, and that's Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar's wife is using her power too. Because when her husband's gone, she's going to use her power in the, in, the, in, the, in the household to get what she wants. And what she wants is sex. What she wants is control. And you know, the, the Hebrew words there, come to bed with me, the English doesn't do good to those. those that really wasn't, isn't, wasn't translated. What she's saying is, hey, sex now, boy. That's what she's saying. Yeah, yeah, sex now, boy. Wouldn't we love our wives to say that to us? But... She's, she's command and control. This is, this is no, you know, wonderful, let's have a dance and some romance. She's saying, hey, slave boy, sex now. This is sexual slavery. This is sex on demand. I just want your sex and you give it to me right now. This is a power deal. This is about control to get what we want. See, Pharaoh's wife is using her power and control to get what she wants, and she's willing to use others to get it, Right? That's the world's model of power. Use your power to influence friends, win people, and get what you want. Get the money you want with your power. Get the success you want. Use your power to take from others, to climb the the corporate ladder, and to get what you want. Because it's a man-centered paradigm, and it's all about your power. The Bible gives us a different definition of power, authority, and control. Joseph has power, but how is he using his power? He's using his power to serve and bless others. Yes, Joseph is being blessed in Pharaoh's household. Yes, he's got good meals. Yes, he's got authority. He's got a great title. But at the end of the day, he's using his power to serve the household of another person. And that household is being blessed by his faithful service. Joseph is using his power not to serve himself, but to serve and bless others. And he's fulfilling the promise that was given to his great-great-grandfather Abraham. Through you, all the nations will be blessed. Even the beginning of this promise is happening as Joseph, a Hebrew, is blessing an Egyptian household and serving a man who serves and loves other gods and totally serving him faithfully. He's blessing that person because he is full of the humility and the blessing of God. These are the power paradigms. This is the decision we have to make at the wall. Is it going to be about me? It's about me demanding what I want right now because life is hard. I can't trust God. So I'm going to take care of my marriages in crisis. So guess what? My wife's not giving me sex. So I'm going to the porn site. I'm going to take care of myself with pornography because my wife, she's not giving me what I want. And my marriage is in crisis. This company is not giving me what I want. I'm at the wall. So guess what? I'm going to steal from this company. I'm going to take money from this company because this company owns me. I'm going, to, I'm going to take my power and use my position in this company to abscond funds and take things from the owner. This nation, this nation is bad. I don't like this nation, so I'm, going to, I'm not going to pay taxes. I'm going to cheat as many people as I can. I'm going to get what I want out of this nation because this nation is bad. What do we say at the wall? What do we justify? What is the temptation? Do what you want and get your way at the wall And Joseph follows a different path, God's path. No, use your power, even though you're suffering, to bless and serve others. God was with Joseph, and he flourished because he handled this temptation, and God was with him. And he knew that God was giving him the power to serve others at the wall. Fathers, you have incredible power. If you look at the statistics on fatherlessness, just Google them. They are astounding. At what happens when a child is raised without a good relationship or without a father? 
Look at the devastation in our nation, the de devastation because of poverty, the devastation because of addiction, the devastation because of prisons. Look at the devastation of a family that has no father power in it. Dads, you make a huge difference by showing up and using your words and using your attitude and using your heart to serve your wife and to love your children. Do not underestimate the power of God's story in your life. When you tell your children the story of God, when you show them that God is real in your life, when you bring them to church, around the table, when you tell how God, them how God answered a prayer in your life and you pray for them, when you open God's word and you share a story of God and you talk about how you use that story in your life to make a decision, when you live generously and you give your money and your time away and you tell them that your children that you do that because God's given so much to you, when you tell the story of God through your life, it makes an powerful indent on the lives of your children. Do not forget that. Do not underestimate the power of your words in the lives of your children. It's an amazing thing that God will do. I remember when I faced crisis as a young man. I was in a huge crisis. I was only 28 years old when my second daughter, Keelan, was born, and it was a wall of crisis. Keelan, uh, my wife, had, happened, to be, happened to be bleeding during the pregnancy, and so it was, a, it was a very difficult time. We're with doctors all the time, and all of a sudden, we found out that there was a crisis, and Keelan was being strangled by the umbilical cord. We had to do an emergency C-section. Only problem was, uh, Keelan came uh, at 26 weeks this had to be done at 26 weeks of pregnancy. When Keelan came out, she was less than two pounds of weight. And the crisis hit, and the doctors told me, here, your daughter has a 50-50 chance of survival. And if she does survive by some happen chance, guess what? She might have, and they listed this list that was so long, I was so overwhelmed of all the things all the difficulties, the birth defects, blindness, uh, hemorrhaging, blood traumas, just everything you can, you can imagine could have happened to her. And this was this huge wall. And I'm sitting there looking at this little baby inside of Rinky Bear. She looked like a little bird. It was so fragile. I, could, I didn't even want to touch her. And I'm just shaking and looking away. And this nurse comes up to me, <laughs> sent from God. And she said, Dad, don't underestimate the power of your life right now. Dad, get in the game. Dad, your daughter needs you. Dad, scrub down. Dad, put on the scrubs. Dad, get in the game. Open up this little box and speak to your daughter. She knows your words. She needs to hear your words. Put your hand in there and touch this little body. She needs your touch. And pray for her. This nurse was a, was a, was a Christian. And she said, Dad, if you believe, pray for her because your prayers are powerful. And so I did that in the middle of my fear and my crisis. What's going to happen? Is she going to die? I don't know what's going to happen. And guess what? God was so faithful. God was so faithful. Keelan became the March of Dimes birth child for the nation that, that year for, for, for doing well with low birth weight. Keelan was chosen by the March of Dimes. Keelan flourished. Came, Keelan came out of the hospital a month early. Keelan has no problems. Keelan is a walking miracle of God. And little did I know, little did I know that I was raising not just a beautiful woman, but I was raising a minister of God. I never knew that my daughter would choose to go and be called into full-time ministry. And my daughter has been serving at youth ministry at, at Mariner's Church for the last 
four years, starting as a, just an administrator doing anything, then she was elevated to a coordinator, then she was elevated, just like Joseph, to a director. God has been with her. And now, out of nowhere, a large church up north in Sacramento, that's part of why I'm crying, because my daughter's moving up to Sacramento because she has been called by a large church that's as large as Saddleback to become a youth pastor. They want her to be their pastor, the youth pastor on their adventure campus. And she has said, yes, she's felt called by God. And so my daughter now is a pastor. Isn't that amazing? I'm so proud of her. And I'm going to embarrass her. I'm going to embarrass her right now because she didn't know I was going to do any of this. But she's sitting right over there. And her name's Keelan. She never comes to church here because she's always working at Mariner's Church. She gets a day off because she's taken another position. She's been off this month. I'm going to ask her to come up here. I'm going to lay hands on her. I'm going to pray for her. Keelan, would you come up here? my precious little girl that I'm sending up to Sacramento. I'm giving her my best, and she's going to flourish up there in youth ministry. Would you extend a hand of blessing on my daughter as I pray for her calling in the Lord? Lord, thank you for Keelan. She is a miracle of God. You brought her to me in a crisis, a crisis at the wall, and you showed me that my words matter, my prayers matter as a young dad, and just my touch matters. And you raised up this little one to become a mighty warrior of faith. And now you're calling her to be a pastor at Bayside Church. I just extend your blessing and grace that you would give her favor, that you would use her to touch the lives of thousands of youth in that area who need to hear about Jesus, need to know his healing power and grace, youth that may not have good fathers, youth that may be in crisis, that you would use her crisis that she's been through and her faith to bless them and heal them and to touch many with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I put your favor and blessing upon her. Go with her and protect her. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Way to go, Kiki. Awesome. All right, so dads, your words matter. Little did I know that I was raising somebody that was going to be called by God. Little do you know what you're raising, what you're doing, and what your children, how they will soar and flourish. It's your words, it's your attitude, it's your character. It's the way you handle the wall that passes on blessing to the next generation. The next temptation that Joseph faces is the temptation of sex. Because Potiphar's wife says, hey, sex now, man. I want it now. And Joseph says, no. I'm not going to give you sex on demand. I'm not going to give you sex now. We're, we kind of go, wow, what's wrong with Joseph? Is something wrong with him? I mean, this is, isn't this what everybody dreams of? Isn't this what all the TV shows show us? Isn't this the Bachelorette? Isn't this the Rose? Isn't she calling into the room? Isn't this what it's all about? I mean, having sex in this most romantic place in Egypt with this woman that wants your body, isn't this what life, isn't this what we've all dreamed about? And Joseph says, no, what is wrong with this cat? What is wrong with this dude? Joseph says, no, and here's his why. Here's his reason why. With me in charge, he told her, my master, your husband, does not concern anything, anything of himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has been entrusted to me, my care. No one is greater in the house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. Now then, how could I do such a wicked thing against my master? No, it is wicked against master. But Joseph says, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph, day after day she offered this to him. He refused to go to bed with her. 
even to be in bed with her. One day he went into the house to attend his duties and none of the household servants were there. Maybe she set him up again. Nobody's there. She caught him by his cloak, tried to, again, grab him and get him into bed, come to bed with me, but he says no again. Why does he have such a strong no in a world that would say, this is the ultimate yes? Why does he have a strong no uh, when he's a man with desires like other men? Is there something wrong? Does he have different desires? What's wrong with this guy? Well, his answer is no. No, it's not because I have different desires. It's not because I have a different gender experience. No, my no is because I am a man of God. And I know God's word says that marriage is a beautiful gift. I learned that from my father. I learned that from the covenant God who called us out. And he says no because this would be wicked, not only wicked sin against Potiphar, this would be against my God, who is actually allowing me to grow and flourish here. See, it's not just because she's married to another man, right? It's because she's not married to Joseph. It's not just because she's not married to another man. Sex is okay if it's consensual and it's just two adults saying, hey, let's get it on, it's fine. That's the world standard, right? Consensual sex. If, if you're adults and it's okay and you're not married, do whatever you want. That's not God's standard, though. God's standard's not consensual, it's covenantal. It's covenantal. God's standard says sex comes out of commitment. And sex is actually an affirmation of a commitment, of a covenant that we make. See, sex was designed for the conduit of covenant. Sex is a gift from God. It's a powerful experience. It's an amazing gift. And yet God says it's so powerful, the only place that it brings ultimate life and health to a family, to a system, even to a world, is when it's put in the conduit of covenant. There's lights on in this building, and it's bringing life to us right now. But it's coming because of the power of electricity, right? And those electrical lines, they're not exposed here. Why don't we expose the electrical lines and put them all throughout here and just be where they're at? Because one of our kids might come and grab one of those and, go, and get electrocuted, right? Somebody might fall into it and get totally burned. There could be an electrical fire that breaks out and this power of electricity that's coming to bring light to us in life, if it's not put in the appropriate conduit, it's going to break out and cause damage. See, the Bible says sex is so powerful that the best place that will use and bring life is not outside of marriage, but it's inside of marriage, inside of that covenant that contains it and channels it in the proper direction. If not, people's lives get burned. People get hurt. People get damaged all the time. Look at our culture. Look at the world. Look at the sexual slave trade. Look at pornography. Look at the adulterous affairs. Look at singles that I have to counsel who want to get married that are so scarred by the sexual experiences, they don't know how to bond in a relationship. It's really out there, guys. You just have to look at it. God's wisdom is better than man's wisdom. He designed sex for the conduit of covenantal love. Paul talks about this. Paul says, sex is the confirmation. It's the celebration of committed love. He talks to the Corinthian church, and the Corinthian church is going to pagan worship, and they're having sex with prostitutes in pagan worship. And Paul says, don't you know that when you unite yourself with a prostitute or anybody outside of marriage, you become one with them. 
You bond with them at a deeper level than your body. The two shall become one flesh. Something's happening in sex that's greater than physical. There's an emotional thing and there's a spiritual thing that's happening underneath that, right? But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. When we unite with the Lord, we're one with him in spirit. When we unite with the person, we're one with him in spirit. That's why God designed it. God designed sex to create oneness between a man and a woman. Flee from sex. Why would you run away from sex? Why you just, see, Paul's referring back to the Joseph story. Joseph is going to flee Potiphar's house. And Paul says, remember that story, flee from sexual immorality. Why? Because all of our sins a person commits are outside the body. But whatever sins sexually is against their own body. They're doing damage. Not, when he says body, he's talking about the whole person. You're doing damage to your soul. You're doing damage to your psyche. If you bond with a person and break, you bond and break, you bond and break, you're doing damage to your ability to ultimately have committed love with somebody. And research actually, psychological research actually shows this. You know, people that live together don't have, they actually have a worse chance of making it a marriage than those that don't live together. Because they're bonding around uncommitment and not commitment. They're not practicing what covenant is all about. See, sex is an expression of a life commitment and creates oneness in marriage. Sex is God's way of saying, I belong completely and exclusively to you. When you have sex with a person, you're saying to them, with your body, I belong completely and exclusively to you. That's what solidifies your covenant in marriage. It's this intimacy that says, my lover is mine and, she, and I'm hers and we are bonded for life. If you bond and break that bond, bond and break that bond with having sex with multiple people, you destroy your ability. Sex outside the commitment is not integrated. It's not whole. It's just a body thing, and it destroys your ability to bond at an emotional and a spiritual level. That's why God created sex for marriage. It is a beautiful thing that solidifies your covenant, and it allows you to express these amazing words, I am with you and for you for life. That's what sex is about. That's what Joseph is after. That's what Joseph is after. Why, how, why is Joseph able to say no here? Here's my, here's my thoughts. He leaves the house and he runs away. She calls her household servants and she's so embarrassed that she, he says no to her. She has to make up a story and says, Joseph's a bad guy. He tries to trick me. And so she blames him and says that he was the one that stalked her, right? And so she grabs his robe and she screams out and she calls the servant and says, look at what Joseph did. He tried to rape me. Right? That's her story. But what Joseph is doing is he's not practicing self-control. He's practicing God-control. He's not practicing self-control. He's practicing God-control. He's not suppressing the desire of his will through self-control. That's what psychology tells us. That's what Buddhism tells you. That the way you say no is you suppress your, your will through your own power. You use your, your willpower to say no to your desires. But Joseph's no is because he has a bigger yes. He's saying no, not because he's looking inside of himself. Joseph is not looking inside of himself to suppress his desire. He's looking outside of himself to God to en enhance his desire and his love for God. See, he's not saying no just by willpower. He's saying no because his God is so beautiful and so wonderful. He's enhancing his love for God because he has a covenant love for God. See, Joseph is all about a covenant love. And so that's what he's doing. His, his self-control is coming out of the reordering of his desires. 
That's what ultimately God is doing to a person's life. He's reordering our desires around an ultimate desire. That's how he's maturing us. He's reordering all our desires, our desire for food, our desire for sex, our desire for success. He's reordering those desires, not around self, but around his covenant love. That's what the process of spiritual maturity does for us. And as those desires are reordered, we have a supreme love. All of Joseph loves. He's a man. He has sexual desires. He wants to have sex like any man one day. But what he's saying is, my sexual desire is not greater than my love for God. And so I'm reordering that desire until I find covenant love. She's not offering him covenant love. She's offering him cheap sex. All the loves of his heart have been reordered around the supreme love. And that is his love for God. That's the love that God has given us in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says, I am the supreme love of your heart. I have given myself completely and fully to you. And only my love can satisfy the longings of your heart. Only my love can satisfy. You know, you know, Freud said that your spiritual frustrations, the reason you're in church here today and you're spiritually frustrated is because you're not getting enough sex. Freud said your spiritual frustrations are just sexual longings. The Bible says your sexual frustrations are ultimately spiritual longings. Your sexual frustrations are ultimately spiritual longings. Do you know why you love romance? Do you know why you want this extreme lover? you know why you want this beautiful life? It's because you're actually looking for the lover of your soul, and God put that in your heart, and the only one that can fulfill that is God. The only one that can fulfill the extreme longings of your life is a God that says, I've given myself completely and I love you forever. You are my bride and I am your husband. See, it's only the husband, it's only the, the, the husband love of Christ, right? The spousal love of Christ that will ultimately fulfill our soul. And that's what Joseph is longing for because he's tasted it in God. He will eventually get married and have kids. But he's not looking for cheap sex. He's looking for covenantal love, and that's why he can say no. That's why we can say no as Christians, because I've tasted covenantal love. I'm looking for that. That's why my daughter can say no. That's why she has said no. It's not because I said, Keila, just have more willpower and don't have sex. No, realize that your God loves you so much, your earthly father loves you so much, there's a better love out there than cheap sex. It's covenantal love. Hold out for that love. That's what Joseph's holding out for. He's got a supreme love that is ordering all the loves of his heart. That's what we can train our kids in, guys. That's what a good dad does for their daughters and for their children. It teaches them about covenantal love. And they want that more than cheap sex. Finally, the last temptation that Joseph gives, and this is, I'll close the sermon with this, is the temptation to give up. Because Joseph runs away and does the right thing. He does the right thing. He's a righteous guy. He lives the right thing. And guess where it lands him? It lands him in prison. Joseph does the right thing. And Potiphar's wife blames Joseph, slanders Joseph. When her husband gets home, honey, let me tell you what this slave boy did. He tried to rape me. And her husband was so enraged, he threw Joseph in prison. And Joseph does the right thing and he gets thrown in prison. And what's the temptation when we get thrown into prison? Or when things go bad and we do the right thing? It's the temptation to give up. I'm tired of trying to do the right thing. You know, I'm, I'm going to give up on trying to be a good pastor in the church because, you know, people don't care about church anymore. People don't go to church. People don't give. They just think about themselves. People don't care about Jesus. I'm just going to give up. 
It's just hopeless. I'm just going to give up and quit this and just become like everybody else. That's the temptation that Joseph faces, but he doesn't give up. He doesn't give up. Why? Because the text tells you that even though Joseph goes from Potiphar's house into a prison, that God is with him and he knows it. He knows that even in this suffering, even in this injustice, that God is with him and he knows there's still a bigger story. And we have the whole story of Joseph in the Bible and you can read this story when you go through crisis and remind yourself there's a bigger story. This crisis does not have to have the last say on my life. Your crisis does not have to rule over you. Your crisis, your wall does not have to define your life and tell you, this is what I am. I just died at the wall. My marriage died at the wall. I died with God at the wall. My integrity died at the wall. My life died at the wall. You don't have to say that. You can say, no, God was with me, and God broke me through the wall. And how do you know that? Because of the life of Joseph? Yes. But also because of the life of Jesus, because 2,000 years ago, Jesus broke through the wall and he rose from the dead. And so all walls in Christian life ultimately lead to resurrections, even death. Even, heaven forbid, if there's a death in your crisis. Jesus Christ said, I am the resurrection and the life. We have hope because we have a God of resurrection and a God of miracles. Do you believe that today? Do you know that? Do you know that God is with you in your crisis? Men, what are you being tempted by today? To give up in the middle of your storm? To run after the things of the world and say, gosh, work, money, sex, that's better than God. I'm just going to sell my life to those things. To just think about it's your power and your control. Or are you going to believe God that he is with you and he is working a better story in your life? If you give your life to God, it is a God who has already given his life for you. He's given you every spiritual blessing. He has introduced you to the Heavenly Father, and He wants you to know an intimate life with Him. Maybe that's what you need to do today, to surrender your life to God and say, God, I am yours. Take my life and make my life a story that blesses you and blesses others, and God will do that for you. He's done that for me. He will do that for you. He will take you through the wall. So this morning, as we end in worship here, we're just going to celebrate that God is with us, We're going to say no to temptation, and we're going to ask God to fill us with his spirit, to be with us like he's with Joseph through the temptations of our life, and to give us that supreme love that allows us to say no to ourself, no to temptation, and yes to God. Let me pray for you. Father, thanks for this morning. Thanks for the folks that have come here today, and I pray for them, a hedge of protection around them. I pray against the lies that are tempting them to doubt you, to disbelieve you. to to choose a different path through the walls and crisis of their life, especially the dads, Lord. Fill the dads with your grace and your love, with a father love, an overarching love that only comes from you so that they will say yes to you and no to temptation in the walls of their life. We thank you, Holy Spirit. Come and work in our lives and bless us as we worship you today. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.